Today's title is Holy Times 3. Holy Times 3. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. All right. Let me tell you about, let's, let's pretend we're changing the channel to, or now we're on the Discovery Channel. There in the northern parts of Europe and Asia, there's an animal called uh, the ermine. The ermine. And this animal is known because in the wintertime, its fur is super white. And this animal is particular because he is aware how white his fur is, and he will do everything to keep it clean. You see, because that's also part of their camouflage, right? You know, if, if it doesn't look white, then they're spotted, and then they can be prey. But they are, like, meticulous. Like, if they get dirty or something, they clean themselves real quick, um, but they keep themselves away from anything that would ruin their white coat. Now, hunters have found a way to take advantage of their, uh, of their OCD, right? What they do is, because, you know, it's hard to find them in the snow. So what they do is they locate their homes first, because they're usually on the side of a cliff or a rock opening. And what they do is they, they go and they take a bunch of grime, dirt, mud, and they cake it all over, all over. So that way the entrance of their home is filthy. Then they release the dogs, and the dogs go through the snow, and, throw, and then when they spot them, they chase them, and the dogs will chase them back to their home because the, the ermine thinks, I'm going to go home, and I'll escape, and I'll be underground. They won't catch me. But when he gets to the entrance of his house, he sees how dirty it is, and he stops, and he says, oh, if I touch that, I'm going to get dirty. And so now the ermine is trapped in between the dogs and the filth, and this ermine would choose to be captured over getting dirty. This animal has chosen purity over life. To the ermine, purity is more precious than life. Isn't that, isn't that like amazing? So with that, I want to lead into today's topic. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about holiness. And then I know people say, they hear holiness like, oh, no, how are we going to have to live? How are we not going to be able to speak? How, what do I have to wear? Believe it or not, <laughs> holiness is much more than that. It's much more than that. You know, if we just talk about all the superficial results of holiness, then you never really truly understand holiness, you know? Would you consider a compliment if someone called you holy? Yo, Keon, he's holy. Well, if you say it like that, I don't know. It sounds like an insult. Depends who calls you holy will, depend, will determine if it's a compliment or not. They don't really say this these days, but back in my father's day, there was an era, you already know what I'm going to say, there was an era that they used to make fun of, um, of Christians, and in fact, they used to call them holy rollers, like the holy rollers, right? And, 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 and so when they would call you a holy roller, they're not necessarily giving you a compliment. They're kind of making fun of you. They're mocking you using the word holy. 
making fun of your relationship with Christ. Okay, another question is, are you holy? Are you a holy person? Now, I look around, and I get to see all you guys when I say it, and some people are, like, staring out into space because they're thinking right now, am I a holy person? Right? And what's happening is this. In your mind, you're like, well, I'd rather be called a loving person because, you know, I, can, I understand that. I'd rather be called um, a trustworthy person because you could trust me. I'd rather you call me someone who, who, who's, who's very embracing because I, I, I want to I hug everybody. I'm a tree hugger. But are you holy? Are you a holy person? It's hard to call ourselves holy. It is. It's hard to call ourselves holy because we know how filthy we are, right? But you know what the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.16? 1 Peter 1.16, it says, For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Now, before we can understand what it means to be holy, we must understand what it means to say that God is holy. Holiness is God's central attribute. Like, it, it's, it's, it's something... All right, let's, let's, go, let's go a little further. Do you understand how important holiness is? Holiness is the only attribute of God that is mentioned in the triplicate in three times. And I'm not saying that's mentioned three times in the Bible, you know, because it's mentioned a million times and, and you have love and grace. I'm talking about that it's mentioned in the Bible in one verse three times. Actually, in several verses. We're going to look at a couple right now, two verses. Isaiah 6.3. Isaiah 6.3 says this. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. We look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The Almighty, the one who always what the one who always was, who is, and who still is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Think about this. When God says something once about Himself, that's it. Case closed. It's truth. When He says something about Himself two times. It's like, okay, God, we, we, you, you trying to make an emphasis on something. We got it. We got the point. This is important to you. But when he says something three times, it should, it, should, it should stop you in your tracks and make you say, wow, this must be up, uh, the utmost supreme importance for him to say it three times, back to back to back. You know, I was... Uh, I was putting this together, I was studying, and I was like, God never says any other attributes about himself three times in a row. Like, we don't hear God says, I am love, love, love. But you know, in today's society, 
We say, God is love, love, love. And we forget about a lot of other things. We never hear God say, I am peace, peace, peace. We don't hear him say, I am grace, grace, grace. Although there are movements out there that only want to emphasize on the grace. But the word does say, I am holy, holy, holy. The word holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. When you apply it to God, when you apply it to God, holiness is the characteristic that sets him apart from his creation. Scriptures speak, right, of God being on high, right, reigning in his holy temple, sitting on the throne. All these uh, references to the Lord, to God, it, it shows him separate from his creation and reigning over it. We can go further and say that anything, anything holy is set apart for God. We call the Bible his holy word because it is God's word. We call Israel the holy land because he chose it for his people. We call his angels holy, his holy angels, because they belong to God. Call the Sabbath holy because he set, he set it apart for himself. Another meaning of holy is pure, separate from sin. The Bible says that God hates sin, nor will he tempt others to sin. God is so pure, he is so holy that he cannot tolerate sin from, in any form in his presence. So there's a misconception, there's a wrong saying. I know people mean well they, you know, in their minds, but you ever heard people say, man, God tempted me, or Jesus tempted me to do this, and I failed. Jesus tempted me to do this, and, and I didn't pass the test. Listen, I, I get what you mean, but the Lord cannot tempt you with sin because he is holy. And Sin cannot coexist where there is holiness. It cannot coexist. It is impossible for God and sin to be in the same place. Are you here? Do you hear that? It is impossible for God and sin to be in the same place. If you want to be holy, as God is holy, because and now we're like, but how am I going to be holy? I'm sinful. If you want to be holy, as God is holy, we need to adapt the attitude towards sin that God has. I know that God hates sin. I should hate sin. I know that it disgusts him, and sin should disgust me. If we entertain it, does that, you know what that means, entertain it? Meaning that you are in the midst of sinful things or sinful attitudes or sinful lifestyles or whatever the case may be, and you entertain it, meaning like you don't walk away from it, 
You know, you don't separate yourself from it. If you excuse it, meaning there are things happening and you just allow it to happen, and, this, and a lot of this applies to parents, it is our responsibility as parents. Can I, can I say that? Can I say this? It is our responsibility as parents that as long as those kids are in your house, that you cannot excuse sin. Because if you don't teach them now, they will struggle later. If we dabble in it, meaning, you know, just on Friday nights. Mike, just on Friday nights. You know what I'm saying? Just on Friday nights. I got to do my thing on the side. But, no, I'll be back in church on Sunday. You know, I'll go to Bible study. I'll go to prayer. But Friday nights, that's my night to get lit and party. Listen, that's called dabbling. That means that you pick and choose moments in your life that you want to sin. You know, when, when you think it's okay, when you want to have fun. Listen, it's not an easy, no one ever said your walk with God was going to be easy. The easiest thing to do is to go along with everybody else. That's the easiest thing to do. But this is why our reward is so much greater. This is why there is a great reward that awaits us. Because for your hard work and your dedication and your commitment to the Lord and your choosing to be uh, uh, of the few and not of the many and your choosing to walk the narrow path and not the wide path and your choosing to say no when the world says yes, then you will be rewarded. God's going to be like, yo, you did it. My, my faithful servant. You did it. Ah, yo, you want to hear that, right? I want to hear that. You cannot be holy as he is holy if we entertain sin in our lives, if we dabble in it, if we excuse it. I want us to take a look at what God's holiness means for us. So what I want to do is I want to take... Um, three instances in the Word of God where there's three men, regular humans, just like you and I, that have encountered a holy God. And what was the result of their encounter? And we can take and extract spiritual truths that we can apply to our lives. Y'all ready? Now we'll get started. No, I'm going to play. <laughs> All right. We're going to look at Isaiah. Isaiah, at this moment, he comes face to face with a living God. He comes face to face with a living God and God's holiness, and it's summarized in four words. And so I want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7, you know, um, chopped up. I'll stop in between a couple verses. But Isaiah one, uh, six chapter, chapter 6, 1 to 2 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, angelic beings, right? Each one had six wings. Two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. That's a cool little teaching right there, but we're not going to talk about that today. Um, the first wor- uh, word to summarize his encounter with a holy God is majesty. 
majesty, royalty. He sees God and, and, and he, he encounters a holy God and he sees him sitting on the throne. And, and the scripture says that his train, the train of his robe, you know the train, right? The stuff that kind of like follows the kings when they would walk. That, they would get, that if you watch the movies, they drag it through the mud and everything. I'm like, why would they do that? Why would they do that? I mean, it looks nice. They don't, like, it's getting dirty and everything. But in some cultures, the longer the train, the utmost important, the, the person. The scripture tells me that the length of the train of his robe, it filled the room. Filled it. Imagine, imagine this whole room right now just filled with one train that just kind of went all over the place. Majesty. His encounter with a holy God, he sees majesty. Three and four says, And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The second word to summarize his encounter with a holy God is worship. Worship. When he's in the presence of God, he sees the angels worshiping him. If we continue, verse 5 says, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the presence of a holy God, there's confession. Six and seven say, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having, his hand, uh, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from tong- with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. And your sin is purged. The fourth word that summarizes Isaiah's encounter is cleansing, forgiveness. So when Isaiah saw the Lord, guess what? He saw himself. And and, and that's why he cried out, woe is me. When he was in the presence of a holy God, he realized that he was filthy. And he cries out, woe is me. My lips, they're unclean. My homies, everybody I hang out with, they're all unclean. My people are unclean. And here I am in the presence of God. You know, (laughs) I know for a fact that Isaiah was probably more morally uh, better off than a lot of the people (laughs) at that time around him. And so around those people, he may have felt he got it all together. Around those people, he probably walked like, yeah, you know, I'm God's prophet, and I'm, I'm the voice of the Lord, and this and that. And he, he probably felt like he was in a good place when he compared himself to the other people. But when he was in the presence of the Lord, he saw how filthy he was. And what's happening with us today, the body of Christ, is that we're so busy comparing ourselves with other people that we don't want to go before the presence of God and see the reality of the condition of our lives. Because we say, oh, I'm better off than Ruby. I'm a better Christian than Ruby is. 
and we begin to compare ourselves with one another, and we gauge our Christianity upon who else is around us, as opposed to coming before the presence of God and His holiness and letting Him reveal to us how messed up we are. When we, when we get to see God for who he really, for who he is, then we finally get to see ourselves for who we really are, not who we thought we are, not who people think we are, not what we look like, what we sound like, but who we truly are. When we're in the presence of a holy God, it leads us to confession and it leads us to repentance. If you haven't cried out lately, I am unclean. If you haven't found yourself going before the Lord saying, I am unclean, then you have not been in the presence of a holy God lately. Let me, let me kind of make it where it's more relative. If you haven't gone before God and said, Lord, I'm a mess. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, you know, I can't do this. I can't, I can't live this, you know, without, you, without your help, without your intervention. I, I, I'm a mess. I make mistakes. I'm going to continue making mistakes. I need you because I'm sinful. If you haven't found yourself having that conversation lately, then you have not been in the presence of a holy God lately. I'm not saying that to make us feel bad. I'm saying that so there can be conviction and therefore we can be in the presence of a holy God. The closer you come to God, the more you recognize your own sinfulness. You know, so, so it's like this. It's like, remember back in our day, you know, who's, you know, Eric. I'm, I'm making Eric my age almost. But back in my day, right, white T-shirts was a thing. Remember, Mike, white T-shirts? Everybody used to wear white T-shirts. Jeans, white T-shirts, Tim's, right? Je- oh, Jose, you remember, you remember? White T-shirts, jeans, and Tim's. That was, that was the uniform of the hood. That was it. You, your, whole, your, whole, your whole closet was white tees and different jeans and a couple pairs of Tim's. It's like taking a white T-shirt, wearing it for a whole year, Right? going to the store, buying a brand new white t-shirt, putting on the bed, taking off the white t-shirt that you had for a whole year and laying it next to it. Your white t-shirt that you wore no longer looks white anymore. It looks dingy. It looks dirty. It looks grayish, right? But it's still a white shirt. But you got to see when it's compared to the brand new white shirt, all the imperfect, all the dirt, all the, the mess. And that's what happens when we come before a holy God. We think, right, we're good. But then when we lay it and we're right next to this whole, when we're in the presence of a holy God, we see how dirty we are. Isaiah being in the presence of, a holy, uh, of holiness led him to confession, repentance, and cleansing. Are you seeing this in your life today? Are you experiencing repentance, cleansing, and forgiveness in your lives? So the second guy we're going to take a look at is Moses. Let's take a look at Moses. So we turn to Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. 
and 6. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 and 6. It says, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. So, if you, so just to give you a little quick context, here you have Moses. Moses is tending to sheep, and all of a sudden he looks over and he sees like this bush that's burning and is not being consumed, meaning it's fire coming out of the bush, but it's still a bush, and it's not ashes or anything. So he goes closer to it, and he goes to check it out, and this is when you see the Lord say, yeah, it's me, but don't come any closer. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. In the presence of holiness, he was told to remove his shoes. When we come before God and we come before his holiness, there are things that need to be removed. There are things that we need to shed. Things that perhaps, you know, when we walk, right, the bottom of our shoes have all sorts of filth, sometimes pieces of gum, whatever the case may be. All I know is that in God's holy presence, in God's holy presence, we need to remove the things that we have picked up along the way. Shoes, right? You travel. You can get home after a full day and have stuff on your shoes from earlier in the day. In school, I don't know if this happens anymore in school, but in school, you could step on a piece of toilet paper and it'd be fourth, fifth period. You, had it, you went to the bathroom first period. And you had a piece of toilet paper on your shoe for like four or five periods. And nobody told you nothing. But you see how sometimes our shoes will gather what we encounter throughout the day in our journey. There are things that we pick up in our journey. Things of this world, things of society, things that, that the, the media wants to make you feel like you have to do or you have to accept or you have to be like. And what happens is those are all the things that are accumulating under your shoes as you're trying to walk this relationship with God. And now you come before God and God says, oh, take that off. Take that off when you come into my presence. I'm not going to have that. If you read ahead, verse 6 says that Moses hid his face. He hid his face. You know, this makes me want to touch on a topic that um, we fall short. And not not us necessarily, but today's today's generation, right? Like all of us. I'm not talking about the younger people. I I mean, in the time we live in now, we fall short when it comes to reverence. To reverence. And what happens is Moses hid his face out of fear and reverence in the presence of the Lord. And what happens is when we come before the Lord, when we're in the presence of his holiness, we should, we should demonstrate reverence. An encounter with a holy God should increase a deep and complete respect for who he is. This reminded me of... Uh, uh, of last week's sermon, right? 
His holiness should increase in us a reverent attitude toward God. And then Tony made a great point last week about how, you know, we get used to being like, yo, Jesus is my homie. He's my boy, right? I, I, know, I, know, it doesn't, like, I know what he meant. Like, like, it's not that, you know, you're going to go to hell for that or something like that. But the thing is, like, where's the reverence to the God, to the master, to the king of kings? Would you go before a, a, a king of kings and say, what's up, dog? You'd probably be like, away with him. <laughs> you know? And so what happens is, I get it. We should, we should understand that God loves us in such a way that he's our friend. Like, we should be able to approach him the same way you approach your friend. But always understanding that he is king of kings, lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the last. We need to remember that. And what happens is our generation is losing that reverence of who we got. I mean, come on, the, the respect of, for, for God. When we lose respect and reverence, it's easier to live loosely, better said, right? Because there's a, there's a lack of reverence for who he is. You know you respect, you know, some of us have those real strict parents. And you got a lot of respect and reverence for your parents. And when they say something, you do it. And then there's some that don't have so much respect for their parents or reverence, and when they say something, they yeah, 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 whatever. Well, guess what? That's what it looks like when you lack reverence for your king. Yeah, 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 God. Yeah, yeah, I know your Bible. I know what the Bible says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know, I, I know. I, I, heard, I heard the pastor in church. I got it. I got it. I got it. Do we lack reverence for our king? I know, guys. Preaching on holiness doesn't get the crowds going, but it has, it has to be said. You, it, it has to be said. I told, that's what my wife told me this morning. Uh, was it last night or this morning? I, um, I was going over the message, and I was like, all right, I'm going over it. And she's like, so it's good, it's good. Like, I know, but it doesn't pop. And she goes, it doesn't have to pop. It just has to be said. I'm like, all right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> the third encounter we have is with David and his, and his crew, right? David has just been crowned king of Israel. And what's happening in this moment, he's conquered Jerusalem. And all he has to do now is to bring back the Ark of the Covenant back to the tabernacle in Jerusalem, right? And so um, it had been about 20 years since it was present in the tabernacle, and so David orders to have the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant put like on a, on a cart and have some oxen pull it. And at that moment, you have uh, uh, the two sons of um, Ab- Ab- Abinadab walk next, walking next to it, right, and um, to make sure it don't fall, make sure it doesn't fall. Second Samuel 6, 6 to 7 says this. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out of his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. 
Uzzah died right there besides the ark of God. How many of us can say that's pretty harsh? All he was trying to do was for it not to fall on the floor. That's all he was trying to do. He didn't want it to fall on the floor. But we need to understand two things to get a better understanding so we don't, you know, falsely accuse God of being cruel and mean. How could you, God? He was just trying to help you, right? So, so, we, don't, so we don't quickly jump to that. Let's get some context, right? Although David meant well, although David meant well, he did not obey the Lord's command. The Lord specifically told him to have the Ark of the Covenant carried by priests with long poles, and the poles were to go through the rings that were attached to the Ark of the Covenant, and which, by the way, were the pur- was the purpose of having those rings on the Ark of the Covenant. So therefore, there was, a, there was a specific order given to King David. King David thought, all right, God, you want me to take back Jerusalem? I got you. I'm going to say, but let me do it my way. Let me do it my way. And he put it on a cart and had the oxen pull it. And because of that, it fell over. And because of that, Uzzah's death is on the hands of King David. Now, at the same time, let's look at, you know, uh, although Uzzah meant well, he knew that no one was supposed to touch the ark. Like, he knew that, right? He knew that because it was holy. It was holy. Now, the thing is this, not only did Uzzah disobey God, but he disrespected the law, the Lord's command. You see, this is what happened. Uzzah had a moment to think. I can imagine him. Like, let's dramatize this for a moment. The Ark of the Covenant is falling over. Uzzah's standing right there. He's like going back and forth. And in his mind, he's like, you know what? In his, in his mind, he came to a conclusion that me touching it and keeping it from falling on the ground was a better choice. Meaning I'm more worthy than the ground was, right? I'm less dirty than this ground is. And so he took a moment to judge himself worthy enough to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Therefore, that's why you have both disobeying and disrespect. I mean, who created the ground in the first place? He would have been better off letting it hit the ground. But I get it. I, I, I get it. You know, I, I battle. I mean, I, I say, poor Uzzah. Because, you know, they teach you in the military, you never let the flag hit the ground. You never let the American flag touch the ground. They teach us that. And so I can imagine Ark of the Covenant is way more important, right? So he was probably like, ugh. Well, guess what? He died for it. Same way some military men have thrown themselves on a grenade, well, he threw himself and died there. In the presence of holiness, good motives are not enough. And this is the point I want to make with his interaction here with the Ark of the Covenant Good motives are not enough in the presence of a holy God. You can say you mean well, but it's not about your motives. It's about obedience. It is not about what will make you feel better. It's about obeying the Lord and his laws. So this is hard. 
This is hard. I, I know it's hard because it's like sometimes you're like, oh, but I really want to do the right thing. And I think this is the right thing to do. And the scripture says, this is the thing to do. Oh, but that was just, I mean, they don't understand. That was back in, psh, when? What year was that? This is 2021. And so we think we have the right intentions, but we disobey God. We disobey his word. What would happen, what would happen uh, if we would begin to take God's holiness seriously? What would happen? What would happen? We will be moved to wholehearted worship. Listen, worship. Sometimes we don't worship like we should worship because we have not encountered a holy God. We've heard about him. We've read about him. Someone, someone said something about him. But I guarantee you that when you are in the presence of a holy God, when you are in the presence of a holy God, yo, you can't stop from worshiping. You can't stop from, from praising him. His angels don't stop. His angels, holy, holy, holy. That's what happened when Isaiah, when he saw the vision of God, he saw it was wholehearted worship. That's what happened with the 24 elders in heaven, right, when they came before the throne. Holiness leads to worship. How could we not worship a holy God? Some of us are like, well, I don't worship because, you know, I'm shy. We had the youth on Friday night, and some of their answers to uh, what keeps you from worshiping. And one of the girls said, one of, the, one of our teens was like, well, I don't really sing too well, and I don't want people to hear me and then make fun of me. And, and then uh, we were discussing with them. It's like, yo, you know what? When you're worshiping God, that's your time to shine. Like, it don't matter if you can sing or not. That's the you have the excuse to sing when, you're not, when you don't know how to sing, you know? Just don't send them to American Idol, please. And the thing is this, it's not just on Sunday mornings we come to worship God. I mean, are we, are we saying that he's holy on Sundays? God is holy on Sundays, and that's when we worship him. God is holy, holy, holy all the time. We should be living a lifestyle of worship. Worship with our lips, worship with our actions, worship with our life, with our choices, with our decisions. It should worship and glorify God. What it does is being in the presence of holiness, it moves us to wholehearted obedience. What does this look like? Yo, if, if, when you're in the presence of, of God and his holiness, all of a sudden we have a new respect for God. We have more reverence for his name. We have new zeal to please him, new attention to details in life. Like, you know, we start to pay attention to things in life that we didn't notice before. Like, oh, well, that's not, that's not very Christ-like, <laughs> you know. We have a new love for God's people when we encounter God's holiness. We have a new hatred for sin, a new desire for God's word. We desire to serve him, a new joy in worship, a new zeal for prayer. When we come before a holy God, 
there's something that happens that you want to talk to him more. You want to talk to him more. When these things begin to be a part of our lives, when, when, when these things begin to be a part of your life, then you'll begin to notice that there's less talk about self-esteem and more talk about repentance. Because we can get kind of stuck about how we feel and this and that, blah, 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 or what makes us feel bad. Well, we could talk less about that and talk more about repentance when we're in the presence of a holy God. Less concern about the White House and more concern about his house. More, we have less concern about the White House and more concern about his house when, when, we, when we encounter our holy God. We have less emphasis on the relevance to the world and more emphasis on faithfulness to his word. And this is, a, this is something that I know, I know the body of Christ wants to kind of like juggle because like we, we, we hear the excuse like, well, we, we have to be relevant so that we can attract people, right? And I, and I understand the concept. But what I, what I have to say for you guys to understand, at least you guys here and those watching, is that we can, we can do our best to be relevant, but we will never compromise the Word of God. We can never compromise the Word of God and, and use the excuse that we want to reach people in the world. That doesn't make sense to me. We want, we, want, we want to expose them to the Word of God, and we're going to compromise the Word of God just to get them to... That doesn't make sense. That's, yo, that's like spiritual catfishing. Can I say that? Oh, I know y'all shall be watching that stuff. Oh, yo, write that down. I was just, yo, spiritual catfishing, that's what it is. That's what it is. That's bad. I don't know if I should have said it down here. Less concerned about what the world thinks and more concerned about what God thinks. In closing, in closing, I want to I wanna talk about, I just want to wrap up with saying this. God's holiness, it exposes our sin. It exposes our sin. God's holiness shatters our pride. Because some of us, some of us, we think really highly of ourselves. And when we are in the presence of God's holiness, we realize that we are nothing. Nothing, the way our Jamaican brothers and sisters say. Nothing. God's holiness redirects your will. And it's no longer about what you want to do, but about what he wants to do. God's holiness prompts our obedience. God's holiness ignites us to worship. Because God's holiness is his central attribute, his holiness needs to be the central issue of our Christian life. Mikey, you want to jump on here for me? Come on, Mikey. That's why in 1 Peter 1.16, it says, Be holy because I am holy. When God's holiness becomes a reality, not just something that you hear, not just something that you heard, you know, that you read or whatever the case, but when it becomes a reality in your life, 
you will never be the same. You can't be the same. But pastor, I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. I don't understand how I could be holy if sin and, and, and holiness can't be in the same place, but yet I'm a sinner. How can I be holy as he is holy? Well, what happens is Jesus did the hard part. You see, because he died on the cross. He died on the cross and rose, and then he sent his Holy Spirit so that we have the, op- the, the, the ability and the, and the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to live within us. God calls us holy in Christ Jesus. Holy in Christ Jesus. Do you want to be holy? Can you guys stand up with me this, this morning, please? Do you want to be holy? I want to ask the prayer team to, to come up. Stand up here, please. And I want, I want to say something, guys. We all will fall short. We continue to fall short. But it's a decision that you make to say, I want to live my life in a way, striving to be holy, striving to be holy as he is holy. A lot of us, we have our own trials and our own tribulations. A lot of us have some strong attitudes and characters. And we struggle with being holy. We struggle with being holy. And, and, and you know what? Believe it or not, you are not alone. Because the reality is that we all struggle to be holy. Because we are all in this sinful vessel. So it is a constant struggle. Today, I want to do a I want to I want to do a calling for those that say today, I want to strive to be holy as he is holy. So we're going to be praying, and if that is you, if, if you if you today say, you know what, I am a mess, I am a sinner, I make mistakes, I fall short, but today I want to make a decision to say, I want to strive, I want to try, I'm going to make an effort to be holy as he is holy. If that is you, while we're praying, I invite you to the altar, we want to pray with you.